0: Open your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In a moment, we'll read verses 6 through 8. Aren't you glad you're here today? I'm preaching on stewardship. Aren't you glad you're here today? Well, I hope you are. We don't preach on stewardship often enough. We don't talk about money very often, but today is a day of great importance for us. In the 166-year history of First Baptist Belton, 2019 promises to be one of the most significant in our history the church was founded in 1853 on the banks of nolan creek and since then this is our third location eight hearty souls were the original members and if if you think about july in belton in 1853 those eight folks must have been tough and they wanted the Baptist work, so they formed the Baptist Church. Later in the eighteen seventies, the church was able to construct a very beautiful building just down the street on the other side of the road where Domino's Pizza is right now. Some of that cement work that's there was the church foundation. Nineteen forty seven the church burned on a Sunday. It's devastating loss to the church, total loss. But God is good. The church moved a little bit north and on this side of the road to the basic footprint that we occupy today, the old worship center over there, education space, and then we've expanded through the years, and God has been very, very gracious to us. Now, we anticipate our fourth location as God has made it possible for us to enter into an extraordinarily special relationship with the University of Mary and baylor and we'll be soon occupying... A brand new spot at the corner of Martin Luther King and Loop 121 and I'm excited about the future 2019 is important because what we're going to do is we're going to pledge our support our monetary support to make the move possible to construct the buildings and then our hope is that during the summer sometime we will break ground and begin uh, the process of of that move now While we're doing that, we're not going to change who God has called us to be as a church. So in the midst of that incredible challenge, we're continuing 125% our commitment to missions here and around the world and our commitment to the ministries to which God has called us. Yesterday, it was my privilege to go to two Upward Basketball games. I had two grandsons who were playing. Uh, One played at noon in our gym. One played at 3 o'clock at the gym at the Belton Church of Christ. Did you know that? Upward Basketball has gotten so large that we can't do it in our church gym anymore without greatly restricting the number of kids who want to play. And we don't want to do that. So Les Williams approached the Wonderful people at the Belton Church of Christ. And they said, absolutely, we'll partner with you. You can use this, gym, and that's what we're doing. Isn't that great? Some might say only in Belton, Texas. I don't know. Next time you see one of your friends from Belton Church of Christ, thank them, please, for their willingness to do that. I am so grateful. So those are the kinds of things that we're committed to continuing in the days to come. Why? Because God's called us to do those things, and until God uncalls us to do all of that, we're going to keep on doing it. So we've got a great challenge before us. We're going to launch a brand-new church. They're going to launch on, on Easter Sunday, Renewal Church. We've been talking about that for months and months and months, and we are not altering that. We are continuing forward. We love the challenge that God has presented to us. And so we're excited about renewal and all of the other things that are happening. Now, the foundation for all of that is our church budget. You, you know that. The foundation is our church budget. The over and above is what we give to things like the Lighty Moon Christmas offering, other mission enterprises, and to the hilltop that we're, we're calling it. That will be over and above our normal gifts to the church. We've got to keep the foundation solid so we're in the last two and a half months of our um, of our budget year since we're on april 1st to march 31st uh, budget year at, at this time but here at the beginning of 2019 is a good time for us to ask what does god want me what does god want us to do in stewardship in in the years ahead because i've heard this a thousand times and i agree with it what we are embarking on is humanly impossible It is humanly impossible, but God has called us, and he will do it, and we are trusting him, and we're walking by faith, and we know that God is going to speak to our hearts, and as he speaks to our hearts, we're going to obey individually and collectively and do what God wants us to do. So we don't often talk about money, but it's biblical, and it is important And you can't look at a series on what every Christian ought to know without taking into consideration stewardship. So as we continue this series on what every Christian should know, we began with, are you a Christian for certain? And then we've looked at what every Christian should know about the Bible, about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about the church, about missions, about grace... About the Lord's Supper, about baptism, about Christmas, and a multiplicity of other things that I don't always, I guess I need to write them down, but we've covered a lot of territory, and we're continuing on today, next Sunday, and the last Sunday in January, then that, that's going to be the end of the Whatever Christians Should Know series. Now, I want you to stand in honor reading of God's Word. Brief verses... Second Corinthians chapter nine. Here's what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Remember this: Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now you may be seated here. Here is the text. So if you want to jot this down, in case somebody ever calls on you to preach from this text, or teach from this text, here, here it is. First of all, he says, remember. So that means it's important. Paul, it right in the middle of this letter, inserts the word remember. So do not forget this is important. Therefore, I want you to remember it. So first word, remember. Then the second point of the text is there is the law of sowing and reaping. You're going to reap what you sow. It is it is a truism of life. We reap what we sow. We know it, and the scripture tells us so. Sowing and reaping. That that's the second point. However, you want to formally put it. Third point is is this. We are. To give, we are stewards, and we are to give how tight-fistedly. We are to give generously. There it is. So, so when when, when people, um, you know, when you don't do this, it's a great church. I love you so much. Uh, once in a while, I hear guys say when they preach about giving. Ah, oh, my boy, my church—they get all over me about. It. Just tell him you didn't say it. God said it. Don't get on me. I'm just a messenger. God said give generously. Now, if you want to argue, then go ahead and take it out with him and good luck on that one. But uh, the Scripture says we are to give generously. That's simple as it can be. So that's the third point. Give generously. Fourth point, g- give joyfully. <laughs> I love that. Give joyfully, not grudgingly, Not with a scowl on our face. Not, oh no, I have to do this again. No, it's joyfully. I'm so thankful that God lets me get in on what He's doing. So give joyfully. And then the last point is expect a blessing. What does that mean? You give, you're going to be rich. Now that's a health and wealth gospel. I don't buy that, but you'll get a blessing. I don't, it may be material. It may be spiritual. Maybe I don't know what it'll be, but God will keep His promises. And when He says, I will bless you, you can count on the fact He will bless you and you will know it. You will know it. Now, that's the that's the sermon. So here's a little meat on the bones. A little meat on the bones. Listen carefully. Here's really formally point number one today. Stewardship is taking care of what belongs to someone else. That's the definition of stewardship. Therefore, if I'm a steward which I am and which you are, it means I take care of that which does not belong to me. Remember the ad? What's in your wallet? (laughs) That's a pretty effective ad. Most of you remembered it. What's in your wallet? Well, what if I tell you that what's in your wallet isn't yours? And if I say that, I'm telling the truth. Scripture says in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It's all His. Sovereign God. I believe that verse, and I believe in sovereign God. And therefore, I know that my bank account, my possessions, my investments, your investments, if you have any, your body, your mind, your family, it's all God's. And you're a steward of what He has entrusted to you. So remember... Because it's His, He can take it, all or some of it, anytime He wants, or He can add to it. God is sovereign. It's all His. And for now, He asks us, who are saved by grace, He asks us to voluntarily and joyfully return a portion of what He's given to us to Him for kingdom work. We belong to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 1920 remind us about our bodies. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. If I'm going to honor God with this flesh and blood, then I'm going to have to honor God with what He entrusts to this flesh and blood. In premarital counseling, uh, we spend an, a, a very lengthy period of time talking about money in marriages. It's, it's, it's important, isn't it? How many young couples find themselves at loggerheads over money? Now, I tell the young couples what I'm telling you. That is ridiculous. I mean, it is. It happens. It's probably happened to all of us. But that's ridiculous for us to get at loggerheads with one another over money money is just a medium of exchange your life and relationship are a whole lot more important than money but we do need to talk about it one thing i say to young couples is do not make a major purchase without consultation with your spouse and with god and with god be surprised how many uh Guys, they they usually are more guilty than the girls are, but go out and make a major purchase and think their wife's going to be so happy about it with no consultation. And it works both ways. Consultation with each other and with God. So does it not make sense that the one who we are to please is God because it's all his and we are under his leadership And we find support for for stewardship as far back as the first chapter in the Bible when God first pronounces stewardship for man in Genesis 126. And God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Stewardship. First chapter, 26 verse. So we're to practice stewardship. And a steward is someone who takes care of something that belongs to somebody else. So that's foundational. If you you don't get your arms around that, you're going to struggle with giving and stewardship for the rest of your life. But once you get your arms around the fact, it's not mine anyway. I'm just being a steward of what God has entrusted to you. It sets you free. Try it number two stewardship should be joyful not a drudgery god loves a cheerful giver now i've always i've said a thousand times in 30 years that i have never claimed to be the smartest person in the world but i do recognize when the bible says something as plainly as that and it's something where that i want to receive then i understand that, okay, I've got to line up in the right spot so that I'll be a recipient of that which God wants me to receive. So when it says God loves, okay, what do I need to do? A cheerful giver. Oh, yeah. I like that. All right, I'm going to be a cheerful giver. Any, any part of that we don't understand? God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I've got a lot of faults in my life, and most of them you know by now. But I I don't mind saying one of those faults is not a lack of cheerfulness in giving. I love giving. I love giving to my church that I love. Of course, that means giving to the Lord. I I love giving to causes that I think are great and and spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, and I love giving to people who need it. I love giving. And I wish that for everyone. There's nothing quite like it. I, I outgrew my childhood thinking when I thought it was all about me. I can remember as a little kid on Christmas Day. Uh, this is all about me. When do I get to open? You know, this is all about. Well, I finally, about two years ago, I outgrew that. <clears throat> no, it was earlier than that. It's not all about me, and and I love stewardship, and I love to give, and I love to give joyfully. Now, joy, joyful giving doesn't mean reckless giving. Don't misinterpret that. It doesn't mean we just throw our money willy-nilly. Joyful giving is prayerful, thoughtful giving that allows us then to give without fear. So stewardship should be joyful, not a drudgery. So I've said this a thousand times. You get tired of hearing it, but I'll usually only say it once a year. Um, when the offering plates passed and you put whatever you're putting in there, smile. Smile. It's good. That's good. That's good stuff. So smile this morning. Now I'm not going to turn around and watch. Smile. Number three, we are stewards. Because we belong to God and so does everything we possess. We're stewards because we belong to God and so does everything we possess. You may say, Pastor, that's a repeat of number one. Yes, it is. (laughs) I want to be sure we got it. Okay? We are governed by the law of sowing and reaping. So how much do we give? The heart tells us. As we ask the Holy Spirit, it's a heart decision. But the beginning point is the biblical tithe, which is ten percent off the top of whatever it is that we that we earn. That's biblical tithing predates the law. In Malachi chapter three, verses eight to through ten, will a man? Will a, will a man rob God, yet you rob me? You ask, How are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing that there'll not be room enough to store it. Now, you may say, Well, that's Old Testament. Yes, it is. Well, that's the law tithing predated the law before there ever was the law Abraham offered tithes to God so don't try to engage in some semantics with me okay tithing predates the law and whenever Jesus talked about the law he didn't he didn't say oh do a little less he elevated it adultery any man looks lustfully at a at a woman who's not his wife he has already committed adultery murder One who hates somebody else has already committed murder in his heart. And so I come back to the point that I've said a thousand times. Why would a Christian saved by grace do less than a Jew had to do under the law? So a Jew had to give 10% under the law. We don't. We have the opportunity to give more. And that's what we ought to do. The tithe is a beginning point. Now, I'm thankful that God asked for 10% and leaves the other 90% for us to pray over and use as He directs. You ever thought about that? God could have said, I'm taking 50 and I'm leaving you 50. Or I'm taking 90 and I'm leaving you 10. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? God says, return 10 to me the other 90 you pray about and the holy spirit will direct and you obey i love that through stewardship i'm allowed to be part of god's plan around the world i've gotten to go a lot of places in mission trips but there are a lot of places that i never will get to go place i'd love to go but i won't get to go but i can still through prayer and stewardship be a part of what god's doing in those places around the world and so can you now number four as a steward we give to god through his church we give to god through his church that's called storehouse giving back to malachi bringing tithes into the storehouse the church is the storehouse always has been always will be the local church only in recent decades have some sought to redefine the word storehouse. But historically, historic Christianity, the storehouse has always been the church. That's New Testament giving. So we begin as a tithe, as a minimum, to the church over and above, wherever the Holy Spirit directs you in your prayers. Now, my testimony is that I tithe... Way before God ever called me to ministry, as a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult, when I was an engineer, before God called me to ministry, I tithe because I knew what the Bible said. Now, I wanted to say that just so no one would think, well, is this some self-serving statement you're making about trying to get people to tithe to the church because you're on the church staff? No. I did it before I ever dreamed of being on a church staff. And you know the story. I didn't want to be on a church staff. I didn't want to preach. But I was tithing before God ever called me to ministry. So as a steward, we give to God through His church. And here's what happens. Now, here's what happens. Four things. You want to jot these down? Be my guest. Here's four things that happens when you give. Number one, God is glorified. God is glorified. Number two, ministry is enabled. Ministry is enabled. Number three, obedience is practiced by you. Obedience is practiced. And number four, my, your longing is fulfilled. Because if you really know Jesus, deep in your heart, there's a longing to be a faithful steward. And if that longing isn't there, I would invite you to go back and examine your heart to determine, do you really know Jesus? Because if you do, there is in your heart a deep longing to be a faithful steward. Now, number five, stewardship is a family matter, and we have two families. Stewardship's a family matter, and we have two families. What are the two families? One is your kin, your blood, whatever you want to call it. Now, that starts out as just you, then for most people it takes in a spouse, and then for most it's children, and whoever ends up in your household. And then time goes by and it gets smaller again. It's where Sharon and I are, which now just the two of us. So together we make our stewardship decisions, and we decide what is God saying to us about what we're going to do in stewardship. And we have that discussion and that prayer at least once every year and usually in January. What are we going to do in stewardship? And so for you, you may be living alone, you may have a spouse, you may have 10 children, whatever, it's a family decision and you are responsible for your family taking care of your family, and then doing what God wants you to do with what God has entrusted to your family. Your second family is the church. Repeatedly we're called the family of God in the Scripture. I take that seriously. You're my family. And I love that. Maybe with only one or two exceptions. No, I, I love that. <laughs> I do. I love it. I love it. You're special to me. And I love you and appreciate you. You know, Lou Gehrig said when he had to quit baseball because of uh, ALS, he said, I'm the luckiest man alive. Well, I don't believe in luck. I just want to say I'm the most blessed man alive because I get to be your pastor. And it doesn't get any better than that. Doesn't get any better than that. Does that mean that you and I have always agreed on everything? No. Oh, no. But it has been an incredible journey. And I, I love you as long as that journey continues and we'll be together in heaven. So you got a, a kin family and you got a church family and you got to take care of both your families. You know what? You got to take care of both your families. Now <clears throat> here's the last thing. Number six, our stewardship challenge is humanly impossible, but dot, dot, dot. Our stewardship challenge is humanly impossible, but dot, dot, dot. God will enable and God will empower. I would never in a million years have led us to where we are in missions and and going to the hilltop and everything else is starting renewal. If I didn't believe that with all my heart. God will enable and God will empower. Terry, I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but on the day of. Jim Covington's funeral, his wife, Terry, sent Craig Pearson and me an email from her devotion that morning from a book by Henry Blackaby. That was the day after Christmas, the 26th. the, The devotional says, the angel Gabriel told Mary that God was planning to do something humanly impossible. All human logic would agree that a virgin could not give birth to a child. It was impossible. Yet this is exactly what was to happen. When God speaks of doing the impossible, it is no longer absurd. When was the last time God did the impossible in your life? When was the last time God spoke to you about what He wanted to do and you were scared to death by its magnitude? Huh, yep, got that. God still does the impossible. Too often we acknowledge our belief that God can do whatever he wants to do. Then we add a safety clause. But I just don't think God will do that with me. We become practical atheists, believing that God can perform miracles, but never expecting a miracle in our own lives. God wanted to bring salvation to humanity. It is critical that Mary not only believed God could perform a miracle, but adjusted her life to the awesome work he planned to do through her now this shook me up the difference between a christian and a moral person is the divine the difference between a church and a social club is the miraculous some can duplicate the morality of a christian but no one can reproduce the miraculous that should be a part of the christian experience do you believe that nothing is impossible for god i believe that with all my heart you know The first reason I believe it, the first reason I believe it, is because you are a miracle. I'm a miracle. Because I was once dead in my sin, but Jesus changed my life. That's a miracle. You were dead in your sin. Jesus changed your life. That's a miracle. And I believe he's still at it. So you should have gotten... A message from Realm this week about the budget pledge or estimate of giving, so that we can continue our work in missions and ministries and all that God's called us to do in every age group. and And so many of you have, I trust, already responded. You can you can do that this morning. There's a card like this in the pew racks. Looks like this. You you may have picked one up as you came in. You may have seen it on Realm. Years ago, we used to do fill out the card. What are you going to give this year? We'd parade it forward and lay it up here. We're not doing that. We stopped doing that a while ago. We're not going to do it this year. Here's our reason for this attention. We want every member of the church to pray. That's, that's what we want. Every member of the church to pray. If you pray, God will tell you what to do. Give an indication of it. Put this in the offering plate. Put it in the boxes at the back. Do it online. If you want to do it on realm, that's the easiest way to do it. Go to the giving section. It'll, you'll see a square, a rectangle that says pledges. Click on that and there you go. But don't do that until you prayed. Prayed with your family. If you have a family other than yourself, pray with the whole family and then respond as God leads you. So, Are we looking for a bottom line amount? No, we're right. We're we're not even, we haven't even adopted a new budget because we're on the April through March. So we're just, this is calendar year right now, asking everybody, pray, what would God have me do? Now, you know, these little cards we've been inserting in the bulletin, uh, what percentage of people are giving? Has that bothered you? It's bothered me like crazy. Because we set a goal of 50% last year. We just about got there. So we set a goal of two-thirds, 66% this year. I don't know where we are. I don't know where we ended. I haven't seen the latest. I doubt we reached 66%. We were a little too far away from it at the end of November to have reached it. That bothered me. You know why it bothered me? I kept thinking, I know these people. I, I, I love them. I can't imagine that there are so many in this room who don't give. Anything, nothing, not and yet nothing. I don't know whose idea it was, but Sarah Duvall did the work. She said, "Let's look at what Sunday school attenders give." As we were looking at the whole church, let's look at what Sunday school givers are giving. You know what she found? Sure did change. Sure to change my attitude. We found that among adults, those who attend Sunday school. are givers. That's a far cry from 50%, isn't it? Some of our Sunday school departments run between 90 and 95% givers. And our best estimate, and this is hard to estimate because we don't know what people make, but the best estimate we could make was about two-thirds of those are tithers. So... What does that say folks who are in the building in Bible study fellowshipping with their brothers and sisters in Christ are giving to the work of the Lord we got to get more people in Sunday school under the sound of the gospel so they can be saved and changed from the inside out then a byproduct of that is they'll give now later this month you're going to have the opportunity to begin the process of pledging for the hilltop. So I want you to think about all that we've said this morning. Here's the, here's, here are the facts. We've already adopted this as a church. The project is going to be between 30 and 32 million dollars. It's a lot of money. Before we ever started anything back months ago, there were some of the elders, the church staff, and a couple of other folks stepped forward and, and pledged. 7.7 million dollars before we ever even ask anybody to pledge except the elders and the church staff. So that means we still need about somewhere between 22 23 24 25 million dollars pledged to get it done. Wow. So what will it take? I here I can I can tell you this obedience But we're going to have some of us are going to have to move outside our comfort zone because here's the here's the thing that a lot of us do. And I do this, so I'm not looking at you. What can I do and still be comfortable? What can I do? And my, my foundation's not shaken. I'm still comfortable. All is well. No challenge. We could do that. Easy greasy. Is that really what God wants you to do? Or is this going to require us to step outside of our comfort zone? That's what it's going to take. Now, I was talking to one of our elders this week, and I won't name him because he didn't, I didn't ask him for permission to share the story, but uh, so you got a one in eight chance. Um, <laughs> he said, I, I prayed and I decided what we were going to give to the. He'll talk. So I, I told my wife, and she looked me right in the eyes, and she said, that's not enough. Good for her. So together they prayed, went back to the Lord, and upped their pledge. And I don't know what it was. I, I, I don't look at that. But she upped her pledge. They upped their pledge. Now, more about that in the next couple of weeks. But I do know this, if we all stay comfortable, I don't know that we'll get there. It's got to be beyond what we think and feel in our flesh. So we pray about the budget, about Hilltop. I know some of you have been saying for weeks, when are we going to get the pledge? When are we going to get the pledge? That's music to the pastor's ears that people are ready to go. Keep praying. And in a couple of weeks, you'll have the opportunity to begin to formally make that commitment. Well, uh, I can't promise you that I won't preach on giving until this time next year, but I probably won't do it next week. So I hope you've listened carefully and let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. This is your family. If you're a member, this is your family. So what is it God wants you to do? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've entrusted to us. We are utterly amazed. And we are so grateful. So I pray that we would be faithful stewards of what you've entrusted to us. And we know that if we will be obedient to you, that you will be glorified. That the ministry will move forward. That we'll be able to do all that you want us to do. And that we'll reap a blessing. So we thank you for that. And as your heads are still bowed. And your eyes are closed. There's someone here today who needs Jesus. And if that person is you. Then as we stand in a moment. I invite you to come and place your hand in mine. And say very simply. Pastor I need Jesus. And a member of our staff will be here to pray with you. God's drawing you. Wooing you. Calling you. So will you today give your heart to Jesus. Now Father may someone come. In Jesus' name, amen. You come as we stand and sing.